Hi, and welcome to episode 13 of Subspace Communique's Life After Trek. I'm your host, Chris, or Captain Pike, chief editor of Subspace Communique. I'm joined, as always, by... Charity, a.k.a. Crewman Becky. Tonight's kind of a special episode. Uh, We're actually doing a roundtable discussion with several of our friends from the Star Trek universe. Tonight joining us is Dayton Ward, a Star Trek author, uh, and we also have Larry Nemechek. All you guys know Larry uh, pretty well if you listen to Life After Trek. We also have Hey Star Trek blogger Jared Formby joining us tonight, as well as Geek Fights host Damon Shaw. Like I said, this is a little bit of a departure for us. We're actually doing a roundtable discussion where we talk in detail about all the aspects of the Star Trek universe. Uh, That would include fandom, the series, the movies, um, just really anything that came across our minds. It's kind of an organic conversation, but it turned out to be something quite magical, which we think you guys will really enjoy. Now, this is part one of a multi-part series, um, so be sure and catch the rest of the episodes. Uh, But we're going to go ahead and dive right into the show, and we hope you guys enjoy it. So please stay tuned. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. We're doing kind of a different thing tonight. Instead of a, an actual interview with a single Star Trek person, we have several Star Trek people with us this time, which is kind of cool. We have author Dayton Ward, uh, the amazing Larry Nimichek. I always like to call him Amazing Larry for short. Uh, we, have, uh, <laughs> we have Jared Formby. Uh, former Star Trek experience employee and Hey Star Trek uh, blogger and Damon Shaw from Geek Fights. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. Hey. Wow, that was like Hello. something straight out of space. <laughs> uh, okay. We have some like amazing echo. It's like, hey, hey, hey. Anyway, so the, the idea tonight is to kind of talk about our lives after Trek. So it'll be personal experiences with Star Trek, how we all kind of got into Star Trek um, our, our bigger leaps into greater things in fandom and that kind of stuff. Um, so, and, and we're kind of going to, we're, we're trying to do it as an organic conversation. Uh, so, you know, there may be lots of edits throughout this podcast. So if you, if you hear disjointed conversations, it's supposed to be that way anyway. So actually let me go ahead and start with, uh, I'll start with Dayton. So what was your first experience with Star Trek, whether it be a series or, uh, a movie or even literature what what got you into the star trek universe well i'm old enough that i i didn't watch the show when it was original, the original series when it was on the first time but i watched the reruns when i was a kid in the 70s you know they were on every day after school and then i watched the cartoon and i played with the toys and i shot my eye out with that little plastic face <laughs> little discs and, you know we 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 blew up the Mego action figures with firecrackers and things like that. So that's how I remember Star Trek. And then uh, I think I was I was twelve when the first movie came out. So oh, that's awesome. We, we went to go see that. So yeah, I go. I don't go. I think I go back not quite, but pretty close to as far as Larry. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm I'm a rerun baby myself. So oh, okay. So did both of you guys have the Mego? Uh, action figures and the communicators and all that. I that had stuff. all, and I had all of that stuff. I mean, I had the the bridge, you know, the hokey bridge uh, that you fold out and it's made out of vinyl, and uh, all the figures that went with it. And I built the models, and I read the comic books, and um, I remember checking out um, like the you know the the Blish, the James Blish novelizations of the episodes from the library. 
and things like that. Well, that's awesome. And catching the odd key, gold, you know, the odd gold key comic. So that's how, yeah, and, that's what I remember. And they were certainly odd. Yeah, <laughs> they were odd. Well, I mean, they, but I mean, it wasn't published on any regular schedule. So it's like one came out, and about six months later, another one came out. It was, it was pretty sporadic. So it's kind of like our podcast. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, the thing that drove me crazy, and I'll get to, to Damon and Jared and, of course, our uh, intros into into Trek in just a sec, but the, the thing that annoyed me the most about the Mego action figures, uh, and maybe this is only because I've seen reproductions. I don't know if this was the originals, if they did this this as well, but when you got a Klingon, he had a phaser, but it was orange. Yeah, it was like yep. red or orange or something like that. Yeah, it was. That that's was it. That's, yeah. that was the one. It was the same gear as the good guys wore. It was just painted red or it was molded from red plastic. Yeah. So. So did that drive not, you guys crazy as kids? No, not really. <laughs> I, I didn't have that. Not as bad as the aliens that came later. You know, because they had two waves of figures. They had the, right. the five, six Enterprise crew and the Klingon, and then they released some various aliens, and none of them looked like their on-screen counterparts nice like the Telosian looked like something out of the outer limits and the gorn i don't know there wasn't a gorn gorn was a later one um I only there was say something this. called a sharonian but it, or sharon right but it was nothing like uh yeah yeah none of the aliens looked like the aliens from the show they just were like approximations and i don't know where they got i don't know what the guy was smoking when they sculpted those or whatever but and they and plus i don't think they sold those as widely as they sold the right, originals. those are much rare. Yeah, I, whoever was in licensing and in infantile prime, primeval licensing that sat on those figures was obviously gone, and somebody just signed <laughs> OKs and let them go through. <laughs> but, but I yeah. mean, we had the they prehistoric had the, licensing days. They had the big, oversized communicator walkie-talkies, you know, with the three-foot antenna that you'd extend. Yeah. Uh, they were good for about 50 feet <laughs> on a clear day. <laughs> nice. You know, and uh, I still have one somewhere in a box. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it works anymore, but I, I managed to salvage one. Uh, it's in a box somewhere. And the thing's about as big as a brick, you know, anymore nice. compared. So uh, it years. didn't look anything like the communicator then, right? No, it was, it was big and blue, and it had a big oversized dial and a big old button that you pressed, you know, like a walkie-talkie when you want to talk into it. And, of course, it had that ridiculous antenna. You know, because they used to sell walkie talkies were a big thing when I was a kid, and you you know you get them and then you would play army or cowboys and Indians with walkie talkies when you were out in the neighborhood. You know, back when ki- back when kids went outside and played, and uh, but I remember you know the things weren't good for more than if, if you were out of line of sight from the other guy, you couldn't hear him. Nice, you know. Yeah, I remember so, that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So, Larry, um, I, your your intro into Star Trek. Give us well, a I was going to say, I, I remember a lot. Of, see, I was just a little bit older, a little bit older, maybe four or five weeks um, older than Tate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I remember, like, the Mego action figures were cool and, and books and magazines and stuff. But a lot of the toys and things were so, you know, they just take their molds and slap Star Trek on it. Like, I remember seeing the walkie talkies and saying, yeah. well, those aren't anything at all like the real ones, so I'm not. Gonna well, they called it a the, phaser, uh, but it looked nothing like a phaser. It looked like right, a, right. like a like a you know Captain Future space gun, and it shot these little plastic discs. You yeah, know, these, well, that these, company, these days that kind of toy would you know get you run out on a, on a town on a rail, but you know back then you were allowed to kill each other as kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pop guns, the whole thing. Yeah, you know, dark what, guns and uh, whatever. Dark guns. So. But those 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 famous spinning disc guns. That company made those already, and. They did what other people did. They just took and slapped Star. Literally, they'd paint them black, 
to look like a phaser, and then they would slap Star Trek. In fact, they slapped the gold, the odd gold key, that wacky logo. That wacky retro logo. Oh, I know yes, what you're talking that about. Gold key, they would put that on. There were a lot of products that were a few I can remember, and those spinning disc phaser, quote unquote, mm-hmm. was one that. But I'd see that stuff and go, that's not real. That's just somebody trying to make a buck. <laughs> you were know, like, a savvy kid. Which is why I would get the, uh, but the, well, they, but the, uh, yeah. AMT, go ahead. No, I was going to say they also had, they had the utility belt. Remember, Larry, the utility yep. belt that yep. they put out, and it had like this little, like a miniature-sized version of a phaser and a communicator and a tricorder that went on your plastic belt that went around your waist, you know. And I think that one shot discs too, but I don't remember. It's what I sold. fell for, what I did do was get the, uh, the, you know, the AMT kits. And you know everybody oh, had yeah. their Enterprise and their Galileo and their, and K seven was kind of a rare one and the and the battle the K seven uh, battle cruiser and although it didn't say K seven on the box, but um, not K seven D seven good God, um, and station K seven but the exploration set was an AMT yes, model the exploration kit set. but they were all it it took me a while to get it that that was like three quarter size two thirds size but it mm-hmm. didn't stop him you know wanting to come in and customize everything and. And I actually eventually later on cut the like phaser apart and made the phaser one separable and put you know missing panels <laughs> and, and awesome. cut a wheel that would spin and make it all go in and get a little Velcro and a little uh, cushion rubber and, and all that crap. But then, yeah, cool. and then after doing all that and go, oh, it's really kind of uh, – because I was a model builder and did trains and plastic models. But it was like, oh, this is still like three-quarter size, but you know. Oh, well, you were more committed to your fandom than I was back then. I just wanted to blow <laughs> stuff up. Committed to my crap. Well, I had a little bit of, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I had six weeks on you a little bit. I just, I just couldn't deal with the other stuff. Of course, now I go back and I go. <laughs> so I was a '70s toy snob, and look, I could have had a set of these things, you know, however much they're fetching now. And well, they're reproducing the some of it. I mean, they're yeah, reproducing they the Mego figures. Mm-hmm. In fact, my mother, my mother bought the bridge. The oh, repro cool. version of the bridge to send. I say it's for my daughter, but I think she sent it to me. <laughs> so my cool. daughter is becoming a nerd in training, a geek in training. She likes playing with that stuff. So That's wanted no That's other awesome. way. But yeah, I walk yeah. downstairs and she's got the thing all spread out, and she's got you know Barbie sitting in the command chair, <laughs> which just you know makes me gag or throw up in my mouth a little bit there. But That's uh, good. now, is it is it a Barbie in her bikini or is it official Star Trek Barbie from like? No, it's just you know Barbie in whatever dress Barbie is in. You know, it's whatever whatever outfit she was okay. in. It's Lady so, Gaga Barbie or something. We yeah, had, it's like we Lady Gaga. Gog- it's, it's, it, yeah, it's divorce Barbie. It comes with all the Ken stuff. You know, I don't. <laughs> so I think I mean, uh, been, we had Yeoman Barbie and Captain Ken about ten years ago. Oh, seriously, I didn't know about that. Oh, that's oh, interesting. Yeah. In the red, oh, in yeah. the red, and the gold Kirk shirt. Oh wow! I think that was like during the thirtieth anniversary or something. Oh, they, I gotcha. They put out that set. You could buy it. Gotcha. I mean, I wouldn't be caught dead walking around with one, but I've seen them. <laughs> I mean, so, I just was not. No, I'm not buying Barbie. I draw the line. So before we get too far into this, I want to make sure that we uh, bring in Damon and, and Jared on this. Um, so Jared, I'll, I'll start with you. You're calling us from uh, K7 um, out there in. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, out here in the uh, Colorado Rockies. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so your experience. Hard for me to talk about uh, my first real love for Star Trek without, I mean, well, it's hard linked to my first sexual experience. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, actually, it's not linked at all. <laughs> so I'm surprised. Um, uh, I, I've always sort of loved Star Trek. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about this on Damon's show. Um, back in November, but I mean, the, the real strict division going up in, 
in Wyoming was that all the toys came from Montgomery Ward, mm. and they didn't stock anything like what you guys are describing. Nothing. Uh, it was all Star Wars. Everything was Star Wars toys. Blasphemy. So um, if we wanted to do uh, Star Trek, we pretty much had to do it ourselves. So that was one thing I enjoyed was um, basically role-playing Star Trek. Um, and, of course, none of this really started occurring until uh, the one with the whales came out, which is when I became a real big fan of it. Because up until 1986, I had kind of seen Star Trek as a, uh, as a you know, a quick-fix version of Star Wars. It was something that was, you know, of quality, and it was in space. And um, I liked space, and um, I didn't even realize how much more important those characters were becoming to me than the Star Wars characters until I watched them just being the perfect versions of themselves in 86, and I was getting those jokes, and I was uh, getting the drama, and um, I was just loving the shit out of it. And um, it sounds snobbish, but, I mean, Star Wars just never never rubbed me that same way. It never uh, rewarded me for having invested in these characters like that. I mean, sure. it was such huge sweeping genre in the other. Um, the, the more popular was Star Wars always, but, um, but I, I really got into Star Trek, and then like a couple of the other kids in the neighborhood, uh, thankfully, were really into Star Trek as well. And uh, we could totally nerd out on it. I mean, we were such young nerds. I mean, we were already, like, third season, next generation, like, dissecting, like, well, they said this in that episode, why, why, what does it mean in this episode? <laughs> I mean, this is, like, long before internet, this is uh, when we got all our updates through fucking Starlog magazine. <laughs> and, well, don't now it. I know. <laughs> I have to, because now I know that Starlog is one of those things that uh, just, you know, it towed the party line. I mean, it just always towed the party line. I mean, I never uh, fell in love with any real articles on, on Star Trek until, like, uh, you know, I was much older and, and things like Sci-Fi Universe were coming out, you know, people that were openly criticizing the shows or, you know, discussing aspects of the shows or explaining why that is so fucking annoying to you. I mean, I, I loved that stuff. I, I really got into the... the I loved uh, the, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that was coming out on the periphery. I mean, I love that stuff and I, I still love that stuff. I eat that stuff up. Now I like scour like bookstores and I look for anything, anything without the, the Paramount logo on it. I love uh, unofficial stuff so much. I just love that that stuff is out there. Um, the, the captain's logs, uh, that are published by, uh, I think Damon is friends with them. The, the fellow from uh, free enterprise, uh, Mark, a. All, I love that stuff. I love scouring stuff. I have a library of that stuff that I'm constantly consulting when I write my blog. And um, I just, I don't know, I've just loved Star Trek forever, and I've loved everything that's gone into it. So you got involved uh, with Star Trek Four in 86, and then you were quickly rewarded. Well, it probably didn't seem quick because you were younger like me when it came out. Um, but, you uh -huh. know, 87, TNG starts. So that was probably... I was just saying that, that you came in with, with Star Trek four in 86 uh -huh. and then you didn't have to wait that long for TNG to start. Were, did, did you enjoy TNG when it first started or was it kind of like a, a hard time for you to, to adjust to it? I, I had a hard time with it. 
Um, I loved uh, the new ship. I loved the look of the ship. I loved the, the, the special effects looked a lot better than what was on the reruns of Star Trek at 10 o'clock at night. Um, the, the primetime Saturday syndicated offering was so slick looking. I, I loved everything about it visually, but I hated the characters. Mm. Hated them. And I couldn't get into it. I mean, uh, I'd openly like be talking with my friends, like, nah, this is, you know what they should have done? They should have taken that ship and they should have just gotten everybody from the old show. I was saying this kind of garbage when I was like, you know, what, 13? <laughs> <laughs> that was already one of those people. You were a um, TOS snob like, at the very beginning already. Yeah. <laughs> I was already like that. But I mean, it, of course, eventually I, they got under my skin. Sure. And. I got into where I really, really loved that show too. So before we before we go too far into TNG, let me get Damon in on this too. So Damon, your uh, first experience with Star Trek. I'm hoping I'm not the cause of the echo. Um, now you seem good. Bas- <clears throat> it was basically my dad. I, I was a Star Wars kid, hmm. playing uh, through and through. I loved Star Wars. I still like Star Wars a lot. And uh, I remember in '87 when. TNG started, my dad was like, hey, you should watch this, and we watched TNG, and that was something we did together, but it really wasn't until, what was that, 95? In, uh, yeah, it's 95, season four, the premiere of uh, Deep Space Nine, Mm. when Worf joined Deep Space Nine, that's that's where I really got into it, because at that moment, they hooked me. The Klingons were badass, everything was badass, because up until that point, for me at least, it was all hokey, and it didn't compare to Star Wars, because I literally was a Star Wars guy. Uh, Deep Space Nine changed me. It touched me in a naughty place. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was darker and grittier. <laughs> yep, yep. It, 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 it changed me forever, and then the experience... On top of that, changed it because sure. then, then just being in the retail store watching the episodes over and over again, reenacting the Ambo Jitsu scene with <laughs> a couple other people. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that that's basically all it is for me. Is I, I literally was a Star Wars kid, and I, I wanted more Star Wars, and there wasn't any, and I converted to Star Trek and loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so if, you know, if you guys want to interject, any of you want to interject at any time, just interject and we'll we'll go from there. Um, just so we don't get too formal about it. But for for me, my first experience in Star Trek, just so I kind of get this out there, uh, was with uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. It's actually the first movie that I remember seeing. Uh, my family took a trip down to Galveston, Texas, and it was during a giant oil spill, so you couldn't really go to the ocean. You know, not that you would in December, but it's pretty warm down there in December. Um, but uh, we all went and saw Star Trek the Motion Picture, and I was just infatuated with it uh, from that moment lucky. on. What's that? I said, "Lucky dog." Yeah, yeah. My parents were cool that way. They they would take us a Lancer, not Viger. God damn it! <laughs> See, my parents never liked. My parents never understood why I like Star Trek yeah. or Star Wars it- or. Yeah, my, mine hated anything. It. Mine yeah. absolutely. To this hated day, it. my mother can't figure out what it is I see about it, and she, now she's like, "And you make money writing about that crap." <laughs> <laughs> to this day, she can't figure out what I see in it. That's good. I, so. I, I think my mom modulated by my. Uh, I was going to say real quick, my actual entree into Star Trek was my ninth grade science teacher shaming me because I'd never watched it. Oh, that's funny. So someday, somewhere, I'm going to have a character or do a role or something and name it uh, Chief Pollard or something for her. But anyway. That's good. Um, 
uh, talk about mom's uh, date. I remember when I figured out the tech when I saw the tech manual and uh, I the paperback the the making of Star Trek Steve Poe's uh, Stephen Poe's uh, or Stephen Whitfield's you know the classic book. I saw that on vacation. Starlog number one, the Star Trek guide was we were on vacation and I grabbed them both, but the uh, um, Tech manual was a little too much for me to stomach at whatever the hell it was then four ninety five or five ninety five on my whatever. Oh, the horror! I know. <laughs> and we're at the mall going through a B Dalton's or something, and I said, "Here, mom, I want this for Christmas. I want this for Christmas." And she looks, she's looking. I'm showing it to her, and I never, I will always remember. In fact, I've teased her about this since the way things have turned out. But I remember her reaction. She looked at it for a second, looked it over, and looked at the you know lines and everything. She says. I don't know, Larry. Four ninety five for something that doesn't really exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, okay. okay. My but, mom uh, was the same way with the, uh, the poster books. Remember the poster mm. books? Oh, I love the po- and the you first know, poster the, book I ever saw was the one with McCoy on the front. That yeah, I but I mean, you know, they were like a yeah. dollar, and yeah. You know, yeah, they didn't have they didn't have you know bookstores at least not that widespread. Back then, it was Woolworths, you know, or in the spinner rack at Woolworths, or the or the magazine rack at the local department store. That was where you found any kind of magazine. And I remember picking up the odd issue of the poster book and begging my mom for the buck, you know, to buy this <laughs> because she was saying, and, you know, and, I, and you know, she was pretty tolerant, even though she didn't understand what was up. I mean, she still, you know, I still got that kind of stuff for Christmas and birthday. But, uh, but uh, so she, she uh, uh, oh, you have an echo. I, th- so. I think Damon was going to Damon was going to interject something there. Uh, okay, Were interject you? away, Damon. We can hear you coming. Hear you coming. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I know that's why I was mute. I keep muting myself, but yeah, I, I think I was lucky because my dad was re- and my mom. They really they were kind of geek parents. They they weren't into really geeky things, but my dad. And my uh, my aunt were really into Star Trek. My mom likes Star Wars. As a matter of fact, to this day, when it comes on TBS or whatever, she watches the whole trilogy. I don't know why. She just does it year <laughs> after year. But uh, it was one of those... They, they they embraced the fact that I liked geeky things, and they encouraged it. They were like, oh, you like that stuff? Here, there's more of this over here. And I, oh, awesome. I really do have to thank them for that one of these days. Maybe I will. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> Well, here we've got Mother's Day coming up. I will say, just to redeem things, that uh, they weren't especially geeky parents, but they were very tolerant and understanding. But it was only a few years later that Mom was doing costumes for me, so uniforms for me. So. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Hey, before we go too far, I want to get Charity's uh, first experience with Star Trek. We actually hadn't talked about this until today, so we've been married almost 17 years. And the first time I've heard this uh, this story about her first experience with Star Trek. Um, okay, well, I, um, I I loved Wrath of Khan when that was um, on cable. I didn't see that in the theater, but when it was on cable, I'd watch it every time. Uh-huh. I couldn't wait for the, you know, <clears throat> things, the, the seti eels to go into the ears. That was my favorite <laughs> part. I just pins and needles until that scene came. And then I remember um, my dad and I were doing like a father-daughter thing <clears throat> every couple weeks or something, and we were going to see... The whales one. Star Trek Four. There yeah. we go. And um but when we got to the theater it was seriously wrapped around the, the building like two times the mm. line. So we didn't go see that. Um and so I think the next thing that I remember besides the reruns of the original series and liking those or wanting rather to like yeah. those more than I did. Yeah, me too. Um I remember my mom was getting ready to force me into watching Next Gen. 
uh, right when that show was starting. Mm. And I was like so anti that, you know, how could they possibly redo that? And even though I didn't really get into the original <laughs> series, for some reason I thought, you know. You were an elitist even though you didn't yeah, like it. Yeah, is that like the weirdest no, thing ever? Perfect. Okay, so yeah, I guess so. So anyways, I, I was, you know, indignant. And we had one TV in the house. And so I had to watch it, right? Because I didn't want to do anything but watch TV. And um, so I watched it begrudgingly. And my mom ended up not liking it. And I loved it and didn't stop watching it ever after that. So um was totally addicted from far point on. She hated it because of the French guy, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. She was just like, well, it wasn't the original series and that, that was my gripe for it to begin mm. with. So I don't know. So but I ended up loving it and just didn't stop watching Star Trek ever after. So let's let's talk about that actually. Um I know that my experience with TNG, um I I liked it. I thought the stories were a little I mean, it's first season TNG, come on. Right. I mean, you're 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 digging the special effects. You're you know, everything's great about it for the most part, except for some of the stories are total crap in some. Okay. Except when somebody's head fills up with worms and then explodes. Right. So that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Three fourths. That's a good that's probably a, a good percentage. What do you guys think? Throw it out there to the. It's like the McLaughlin. Well, I'll, real quick, I looked at it like your. I mean, we were the people that said I will not watch this at all. I was like, Jesus Christ, we've been griping about this for twenty years or ten years or whatever. Don't knock it out. Gene's doing it, but I also knew you could tell that it was thin. So it was kind of like your sports team that was just having a bad year, or your you know, like your expansion team that you were thrilled to have a team in your city. But and you weren't about to go anywhere else, but you were just rooting for it constantly. And by the end of the year, it was kind of like, oh yes, uh, conspiracy and and the Romulans and oh, this is going to get better. It's going to be you know, and, and Heart of Glory with the Klingons. You'd see those little specks and little um, you know glimmers of hope that made you okay. We'll get them next year. We'll get them next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Neutral Zone. I actually really like Neutral Zone. The last episode of of. Uh, first season next year. What 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 do you guys think, Dayton, Jared, Damon? I just watching the first year so i was in the service when it came out okay and i remember watching the the premiere of next gen in the break room of the barracks i was living in and the place was packed with you know other jarheads we were all watching this and i don't remember li- ha- hating it but then again it, it could have just been the beer <laughs> and, but i just remember watching that first year thinking like larry you know there's glimmers of hope there's there's a there's a there's a scrap of a good idea in that episode i i liked picard from the start and he just grew on me as the series went on mm-hmm. but all i remember the biggest thing i remember was will somebody for the love of god please pull the stick out of the ass of the stick that is buried in riker's ass and I was like, <laughs> please loosen up dude he and might also it, walk not crooked also yeah <laughs> well, he had that funny posture you know where he was kind of canned to the right like he's a dog and you just changed his food on him and it was just i just remember thinking th- that and there were a couple of a couple of stories that were really bad and the music was kind of hokey and it was like, okay, they, they've taken all the worst things that you remember about the original series, and they've amplified it with more money. <laughs> and like the indoor, even the planet set was not as convincing as mm. the fake planet set from the original show. I right. just remember thinking, God, they did it better back then with less money. And But, I mean, it grew on me, and it grew on me. But the funny thing is I had recorded all those episodes you know, on VHS, and then I got orders overseas in the summer of 88, was, so it was right before the second season started and when i got over there they weren't showing next gen on tv over there um but the armed forces tv station was running 
reruns of the original show every day. Oh, that's awesome. And so I walk up, you know, and I'm on, I do what they, um, I had to draw what was called like a, like a duty on a Saturday where you man a desk and you answer phones on the weekends, that and kind of thing. D-U-T-Y, right? Yeah, D-U-T-Y. <laughs> okay. And I'm sitting there at the desk in the, in, in the lobby of this building where we work and I, there's a TV there in the office and I've got the VCR tape in there next gen episodes and people are walking by the office going well what is that these are all people who've been stationed over here and haven't seen this yet Mm. and next thing you know you know an hour later the duty office is packed with people who are leaning through the windows and watching the the doorway at the new star trek episodes and that was the most borrowed tape i had for a year (laughs) and then my girlfriend my wife who was then my girlfriend sent me tapes periodically of new episodes from the second season you know which was underway while i was over there and so, you know, after about the third tape, people are coming at me about every four weeks going, well, where's the new tape? Where's the new tape? <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was, it was, it was weird at that point. And, sure. you know, this you was were the back- one-man marketing machine for uh, Paramount. <laughs> you know, there was the guy down the hall who lent out porn, and there was me with the Star Trek Netflix <laughs> tape. We were the most popular guys in the barracks. To this day, I can't figure that out. That's awesome. So, That's well, I mean, awesome. It was, there was a huge bootleg market for, for videotapes. When I first went overseas, I mean, I literally, two nights before I got on the plane to go over there, we went to go see Die Hard. Mm. The next night, we went to go see Midnight Run, which were two movies that were out that summer. Two days later, I'm in Okinawa, and I'm walking around town, and I stop in a video store, and I can buy a perfectly good commercial-grade bootleg of Die Hard and Midnight Run. (laughs) I mean, that's how loose the copyright laws were there, you know, for 10 bucks each or whatever it was. Oh, they're still that way badly. They're right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Jared, you said that your first experience with TNG was kind of crappy, right? Like, you weren't really into it. No, I wasn't into it. Um, I didn't like it. Um, I thought that the other guys did it better, et cetera. And uh, it's funny now. I mean, uh, the uh, first season of Next Generation is so amply kitted and teased and poked and prodded by Star Trek fans all the time. But I've grown to really love that season. I, I think that a lot of uh, the choices that were made in that first season were extreme, and they were really cool. And I don't know, uh, maybe it was the, the Morris Hurley guy that was uh, making it that way, because I know he contributed to the best of both worlds, not the best of both worlds, but to Q Who and mm. bringing in something as hardcore as Borg, mm-hmm. kind of challenging that room to come up with something that wasn't talky like the Romulans, that wasn't talky because Picard was so talky, coming up with something new. I know it was Tracy Treme, I think, that uh, was looking at all the, the William Gibson stuff and cyber stuff and we needed to do something like this. And The, the second anyway, half of the first right, season is definitely the, better. Mm. Yeah, right. back to the first season, though, I mean, I, I, I just enjoy how epic a lot of the, the presentation is. Like, there are shots in data lore when they uh, go into that uh, base where uh, they find lore. I mean, that, that shit is just chilling. Yeah. And it's so well lit and it's so well put together. And uh, The Lonely Among Us is one of my favorite episodes of The Next Generation just because it is so uncompromising. It's so uh, indelibly hardcore where Picard is ready to abandon humanity because he wants to explore something that new and they bring him back. It's just like, what the fuck? There's some <laughs> real shit on that show. Right. I know there's a lot of really weird and lame stuff too, but I mean, that's pretty much any season of Star Trek. 
is going to have something like that. But I always feel like this first season is just always plowed over, and nobody like notices like how crazy coming of age was that episode with Wesley, and how fucked up getting into Starfleet was. I mean, what the hell? I mean, really? Yeah. You know, and these things are true. You take this canon, which you know is a demand made of every Star Trek fan. It's really kind of rad. And uh, so I, I always stick up for that one. Like, I've always had to stick up for Star Trek, the motion picture. Because a lot of uh, uh, fans, I think, uh, rag on this stuff a lot of uh, unfairly. And uh, so I'll, de- I'll defend weird stuff like that. And then I tend to attack stuff that's more popular. Well, dude, that's why we have you on. So. You, uh, you stick up for five? Uh, you know what? I, I've heard one really good argument for five. And the only thing that's good, or that you know, the argument I've heard that I like is that only those guys could have pulled that movie off in any way, to any degree, <laughs> because they're just being so them. I mean, it's like the perfect marriage of the actors and the roles and a really blown out Star Trek story that was worthy of Star Trek's third season. You know, it's just, you know, it's, a, it's an homage in its own way. I mean, I wouldn't run out and watch it right now, but... <laughs> That's a, I, I, I thought homage. about Five as an homage. Of course, they, and I know they you did, know, they suffered a horrible cut, and they had to totally re, you know, right. they lost the whole end of the movie, and whether that would have worked as well or not anyway, but... Could it, I mean, could they have made it better? I, I don't know. That movie an flashback with Dennis Hopper. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Jared, you know, your first season Next Gen, that was still when it was still a lot of the oldster. I mean, David and David Gerald and uh, and uh, Dorothy Fontana left the way it was going, but Bob Justman stayed through the first season and Bill Tice was there. And a lot of the guys that Gene pulled in to get launched with who were a little long in the tooth or they got it going and they kind of got self-satisfied and said, ha-ha, world, we can do it again. And we're gone by the end of the first season. But part of that, and Gene was at his strongest as an overseer, and they also had just an insane writer's merry-go-round, which added some of that. But a lot of what was coming through there was poking poking back at all the crap they had to put up with when they were on network and NBC. And Gene was like, we're going to be syndicated and be able to do what the hell we want. So if we want to have naked people running around or, you know, or whatever, have a planet run by women, we can do it by God. And you know, some of that was behind – however it came off. That was behind some of that, uh, some of those, you know, wacky stories. Mm. Well, I watch it, and and I and I am in love with that raw energy that I don't think PNG ever really recaptures. Yeah, you know, I could see that. I could totally see that when they got into like their third and fourth and like their their better seasons. But by then, you could start feeling like a Star Trek machine coming to life, where like they were able to just kind of crank this stuff out, and it didn't have that sort of rough edges that the first season had. That's a good way to put it, rough edges. Uh, let's go with that. I think rough edges pretty much sums up season one. I love I love Star Trek Five. I, I, <laughs> I, I can honestly and wholeheartedly dis- defend Star Trek Five because there are moments in that movie that Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are more Kirk, Spock, and McCoy than they ever are in any of the other films. Yeah, I could see that too. I mean, they are hardcore moments. When McCoy is talking about how he killed his father, really? That thing is that that scene is so hardcore, and I love it so much. Uh, but as for TNG, I watched it with my dad because it was with my dad, and I was I was nine when it when it started, ten by the end of the first season. And I, the only reason I was really watching was because my dad wanted to watch it, and I wanted to watch something with my dad. I really didn't like TNG. 
until season four. Mm. And, you know, best of both worlds when it starts, you know, when it starts to, you know, mm. kick up to speed. But even then, it was one of those, like, I was, wa- it was subliminal. I was watching it off to the corner, and I was always thinking it's not Star Wars. For whatever reason, I was still a Star Wars kid. And, and I, every time, I was like, oh, this was really cool, but this Star Wars book I just read, I liked it so much, Yoda did this. And, you know, I, I don't know what was wrong with me. I, I think there's something <laughs> wrong with me. But eventually, I did grow to love it. Everybody on the show, except for Deanna Troy, I still hate her. I can't stand her. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's so boring. Oh, uh, she's a very beautiful woman and a very nice per- woman in person, though. I will say that much. And and then it, it was sitting in a comic shop. Uh, the com- I worked at a comic shop with Mike, and Mike recorded all Star Trek. And we had a, a TV there, and... And a VCR, and that's what you did. You would just pop in a, a, v, a VHS and watch all of his Star Trek. And that's what I did for eight hours a day, you know, for like three years. And and then I became began to really appreciate it. And then Worf joined Deep Space Nine, and Cisco became awesome. And uh, So who is it out of this group that said, um, I think it might have been Jared, that said you should start watching... Deep Space Nine, when Worf joins, because everything is explained. Was that you, Jared? Yeah, that, that's something I, I, um, I, I say a lot, because people who don't want to give Deep Space Nine a chance, uh, I think that they need to have a surrogate to kind of take in the new environment, and mm. Worf is being introduced to all the weird shit, and starts to get into the, the rigmarole, and then I think it takes off for, for new viewers, I really do. Yeah, you know, Deep Space Nine for me, I actually didn't become a huge fan of it. Um, I mean, I liked it, and I watched it first run. Um, but I, I, And I actually think I watched Voyager more than Deep Space Nine. Um, but just within the last wow. few years. Yeah, I know, weird, right? Just within the last few years, I've really gotten into Deep Space Nine. Now, I saw, like, The Visitor first run, absolutely magical. You know, that, that episode is just mind-blowing. I saw Trouble with Tribbles. I saw a lot of the episodes first run. But I didn't embrace the character and the dynamic and the chemistry of the cast and all that stuff until just within the last five years or so. So were, were all of you guys sold? And, and I'll just kind of throw it out there and whoever wants to jump in first. Were all you guys sold with DS9 when it first started? Not no. when it first started, no. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Couldn't get there. Yeah. There were episodes during the first season that I really liked. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I was against the concept. And, and by then, of course, Next Gen was rolling. Sure, and so and that was appointment or as close to appointment television as I could get back in those days. I mean, I was at least recording it, you know, and then catching it. But I mean, when DS Nine started, it was definitely a, a you know off the rails a little bit as far as the tried and true concept of Star Trek was concerned. So it took a little getting used to, but I liked the characters and I liked the setting and the potential that it carried. It took a while for them to get up to steam. So I I always find it funny that Deep Space Nine of all of Star Trek is the only Star Trek show that actually has to compete with other Star Trek. It has to pe- it compete with the uh, <laughs> final four seasons of uh, TNG. It yeah. has to uh, compete with the beginning of Voyager. Yeah. And, and, and that's why most people didn't watch it was because TNG was at the, at the height of its popularity and then there, there's this other show off to the corner like, I don't really like it. They're not flying around in space. That's what Star Trek's <laughs> supposed to be about. And then Voyager starts up and it's like, ooh, it's on UPN, that new channel, and it comes on prime time. Let's watch that. 
And then it got lost in the shuffle, and then you come back to it, and you go, oh, they were doing something awesome with this show. And yeah. yeah. One, DS9 two. never got a fair shake in my market and nope. where nope. I live. I mean, it never got a fair mm. shake. It was always on at some – like 1130 on a Sunday night was when they'd air it. And it was like the Sunday after the Sunday everybody else got to start watching. I was always a week behind or it was on Sunday afternoon at noon except for you know when football season was on. Then you could never see it. Then they would bump <laughs> it. To, you know, it, was, it never got a fair shake. I feel like uh... – um, Deep Space Nine kind of got to do as much as it did because there were too many shows for the executives to watch. Mm. Like, that they got to do a lot of their more daring choices just because they had to hurry up and sign off on Star Trek to produce Star Trek to keep the Star Trek machine going. Right. Well, by, by the time Voyager came along, they were all their attention was on the network, the UPN network, and, and yeah. competing with Fox. And they left DS9 alone, it, which is why, like you said, the, the writers got to get away with a lot of stuff over there they probably wouldn't have if the, if Berman and company were paying more close attention. You know, I think yep. so, too. Yep. Ira, no, Ira and the guys, definitely when Next Gen ended, and they started off on this way. And, you know, Ira Bear was the guy who came with Michael Piller, one of his old buddies. He comes in with the third season. Oh. Uh-oh. Oh, that sounded like a fantastic story. That was going to be a good story. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> I think what he's going to say is that you know, I repair, I repair you got to drop in there to be continued music on that. <laughs> I think what he was going to try to say is that Ira Bear came in and he had this idea about, you know, into the heads of the characters and mixing up the character dynamics and starting the storytelling arc. Mm. Um, you know, idea that they started carrying forward from the third season on and that's ira bear's wheelhouse yeah you know i think we're getting a bit of echo there oh damage i feel like we're there we go i feel like we're breaking the system did it was it just me dropped off yeah it was like at an epic moment you were like yeah no i heard no that's what everybody's getting it all here that that's ds9 because when ds9 came along it's really funny. Within two years, it totally changed. They were the new – I mean TNG was at its peak, but the peak that it helped propel propelled DS9 in the first place, and it was the shiny, bright kid. And all the A-team, the first-team TNG people, the, the camera crew, a lot of the staff went over to DS9 like it was a reward, and TNG hired in like, – like Marvin Rush was the DP and went over to DS9, and Jonathan West came in and was like – Oh, I'm the second one coming in and taking over, and I'll finish out the TNG years, which is kind of funny. And then after two years of DS9, when now it became we're not the night, the shiny thing. Now, like Dayton said, not only was it UPN, but it was difference between syndication and network. Mm-hmm. And then everybody like trampeded, trampeded, stampeded, trampled back over. I like to that. Let's, let's stick with that. Trampeded. Trampeded. Yeah, I used to play slide trampede. Uh, <laughs> But then it was like all the people that went over to DS9 after two years came back to be on Voyager because it was going to be the prime show. And, mm. and Right. And Ira, I mean, when Voyager started, the premiere party on the lot for Voyager, which was like in January, the, the, the cast and crew screening, was – I remember talking to, to Ira because they had just done um, Future uh, Past per, Future Imperfect, the, the, uh, the, uh, the Bell Riots. Mm. Which was an incredible show, and Ira was saying, you know, we always talk about Gene Run's perfect future, but how did we get there? We didn't just wake up one day and take a pill and everything was all hunky-dory fixed. And, you know, talking about the social uh, 
you know the social uh, blood that had to be spilled to right, get there, and that was right. what the Bell Riots and that show was all about. But I remember him standing standing over on the side, going, "Wow, like it's really cool that Voyager's getting all this attention." But he was just like, "Is anybody watching our show?" <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. But he yeah. always would say that they always felt like the stepchild, the not stepchild, the middle child. Not the youngest, not the oldest, and he's like, ten years from now, we'll get, we'll be getting more attention than we do right now, and especially after uh, nothing against Ron, but I, I can't watch Galactica now for saying, oh, they're redoing the Shapeshifters and the Dominion again here, mm. you know, with the Cylons. And- <laughs> <laughs> Many other wrinkles. I'm not saying it was a total copy, but I'm saying I watched that and I go, nastiness, that's problem. <laughs> I didn't watch Galactica week to week. I had to go back and watch the DVDs, and sure. halfway through season one, I went, they're all worrying who the Cylons really are, and that's what they used to do about the changelings. Everybody got par- Oh, that'll be the excuse for suspending liberties and the whole you know, martial, uh, uh, you know, martial law versus uh, freedoms and democracy bit. So anyway. So that, that portion of Deep Space Nine, the, um, the conspiracy issues, the uh, martial law issues, that kind of the governmental issues, that was Ron's uh, doing then, right? No, I'm not saying it was it was just his. I'm just saying that those elements kind of seem to resurface again. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, they enjoy diving into that. No, Ron was still the Kling, Mr. Klingon guy, mm. you know, through DS9 a lot, but um, gotcha. Um, yeah, the Klingon saga. But anyway, so it it sounded like Damon was gonna gonna chime in there. Um, and and before you 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 come on, um, so. Your experience with DS9, Damon? What what would that be? What what was your thoughts on that? Deep Space Nine, the the, the first, I, I didn't like it. I really didn't like it until the Defiant arrived, and even then, I wasn't watching it when that happened. I was watching it on tape after the fact, and then I, I started to realize, oh my god, this show is amazing, and I love Cisco. I I I, I listen to uh, the Gamma Quadrant, and I I kind of get frustrated with them sometimes, but. I, I love the relationship between Cisco and Jake because I've always thought of my dad as Cisco and me as Jake, and I loved <laughs> I loved that I love that dynamic of Jake not having to be like his father. I, I think that was a huge thing because every other kid in any other show ever was always going to be like their dad. Even right. Wesley Crusher was joining Starfleet to be like his dad. And Jake Sisko was going to be his own man. And, and I, I liked that so much. And I, I, I'm, I, I like to say I'm very different from my father. What was that, Jared? I said, here, here. I was applauding pretty much all of that. Yeah. <laughs> all of that. Yeah. And, and that, that's where I, what I fell in love with on that show. And then the other relationships between everybody else. Because... It's the the cast of Seven on Next Generation is cool, and the cast of Seven on Voyager is okay, and the <laughs> cast of Seven on Enterprise is fine, but it's not a cast of Seven on Deep Space Nine. It's a ga- cast of like twenty three people right. that you absolutely love. Yep. You love Garrick. He's not a main character, but you love Garrick as much as you love Cisco. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean that that that's the thing I loved about Deep Space Nine was the fact and that that's they the thing. This- yeah, I was gonna say, and that's that's the thing they could do by it not being a ship show. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The 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 adventure wasn't going off and finding new places. The adventure was discovering these people and learning about them and learning about their cultures through what they did. Like 
when did he fi- when did Garrick finally say he was an assassin? Wasn't that like season six? But we knew it from season one. He always alluded to that shit, and I loved that. I loved I loved the the Quark Rom and the fact that the Fringies went from being characters that I did not care for at all and did not like to being one of my favorite alien species because of the performances of Armin Shimmerman and uh, Max Grotenchek. Yeah, I, I mean, they 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 really did fill out. The, the universe for whatever came next, and then it was Voyager, and they left the universe, which really annoyed the hell out of me. It's like, ah, you were building something good. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We we actually talked to uh, to Max over the weekend. We were at Bayoucon with Larry uh, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and we recently had Aaron um, on the our Life After Trek podcast, which you guys are on right now. Uh, but we, we talked to both of them, and, you know, to us, seeing the show, they seemed like regulars. Now they weren't regulars in the the scheme of Hollywood, and in in you know the core cast, they were considered. What would you call that, Larry? Guest stars, or what was it? What, they were. They they say recurring. Recurring. The that's the word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So th- th- that's what they were. But to us, I mean, you. I didn't notice it. I thought yeah, they were I had all the no time. idea. I was like, okay, and and Aaron was even saying that that uh, he was working at uh, Marie Callender's or something, even up into season five. Just because he wasn't guaranteed, you know, um, another season oh, yeah. after that and that kind of stuff. But well, you know, but see that the other side of the coin there, Chris, real quick is that that if you signed on the show to be a regular and a regular kept the six or seven or eight of them, the the fact that they did, I mean, somebody said twenty three characters. I mean, I've seen somebody else talk about forty fifty. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to people that have even been on two or three, you know, by the time you get down to the. Um, Oh, what's his name? Bajoran, the the first minister that was oh, the farmer. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Shakar. Shakar, By yeah. the time you get down to the Shakar level and some of those guys, there's like 40 or more. Well, the first but, Kai, right? I mean, even her, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Pocket. Yeah, and for, she's good for flashbacks if she's dead. But the thing is that if you're one of the regulars, the fact that there are 30, 40 fleshed-out recurring characters may not be <laughs> <laughs> may not be the best thing for you. In fact, when they did the last season, before they did the final wrap-up shows – the one where um, uh, Bada Bing, not Bada Bing, Bada Bing. The one where um, where where uh, uh, Nog loses his leg mm, and he's it's in depression, moon, and he spends yeah. the whole yeah, only a paper moon. He spends the whole the whole show is about him hiding out in the holodeck with Vic, and basically you've got a whole show there where the main characters they have three fourths or seven eighths of the screen time are two recurring characters. The regulars. You know, weren't kind of happy about that, but that's the kind of risks they took as producers and writers. Also, well, that's interesting. So. That's an actual that that's an interesting insight to one of our favorite episodes. Yeah, yeah totally. Because it's only a paper moon. I mean, literally, that's probably the the DS Nine episode that I watch the most out of the bunch. Hmm. Yeah, it's to us, it's just hey, let's watch. It's only a paper moon, and it's almost like it's its own thing. Sure, it's a part of you know Star Trek. It's a part of Deep Space Nine, but. It's such an amazing story, and it's acted so well, and and all of that stuff that it's yeah, it's fantastic. But that's interesting. So they weren't happy about that. Well, I mean, like no one went on strike or threw tantrums right, or anything. Right, right. But it's kind of like, geez, guys, who's the regulars here, and who's the you know, <laughs> we've got I, part of it was it was the last season. It's like we only got so many slots left, guys. Right. Oh, really gonna, yeah. You know, gotcha, gotcha. So were you guys now? And this is a group question again. So whoever wants to take it first. Um, Voyager fans. Were you Voyager fans when it first started? Were you into it? Could, could, were you sold by it? What's the consensus here? I remember championing it. Really? I remember going, oh my God, so cool. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I uh, went to a friend's house uh, to watch it, and uh, it was the big UPN premiere. 
and UPN's first night on the air and all that business and uh, watched it and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it with action packed. I thought the characters were interesting. I was I couldn't wait to see what they were going to do with it. And then I went to the uh, mall the next day, started chatting with a friend of mine who was who'd done some uh, acting for me and some videos I was making. Um, and he was like a manager at the uh, DVD store or I guess VHS store or the movie store, whatever. <laughs> oh, did we lose him? Yeah, he dropped out. Oh, Aww. that happens in all these amazing stories. <laughs> well, this one time I was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, with, without uh, Voyager. I, it was a, a reason to get together for me and my friends. We, the, the, the oh, sorry, oh, I didn't know it was gonna right. ring. Oh yeah, it always rings. Yeah, I that's, love it. That's on me. No, it's fine. You gotta get him back on. Hello. So, so, hey, Jared, hang on just a second. Damon was in the middle of uh, telling a story, and then we'll get right back to you. I'll somehow splice this all together. <laughs> it won't be a mess. I promise. <laughs> but, uh, Voyager, a Voyager was a reason to get together. Uh, we, were, as a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, that night was Voyager at eight o'clock, and yeah, it was Voyager at eight o'clock for a while, and then a couple years later, uh, Smallville would be at nine o'clock. So mm-hmm. we would watch Voyager and then Smallville, and slowly but surely, Voyager started to lose me because they weren't Deep Space Nine. Oddly enough, the same reason why I didn't like. Deep Space Nine in the beginning because it wasn't TNG is the same reason why I, I don't like Deep Space Nine. I still don't like Deep Space Nine to this day because those characters never fully developed the way I wanted them to. Right. I, I'm sure they did, they, they did develop, but it was it was always weird for me. And then as uh, Jason Thompson on, on our Worst of Trek episode said, the Gilligan effect, that really bugged the hell yeah. out of me in that show. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So Jared, you were saying about Voyager. You were you were championing it, championing it. Yeah. Um, you were at the VHS store. <laughs> yeah. So I went in there to, to talk to this guy I know who's also was also an admitted Trekkie, and uh, and he's like, "No, I don't like it." And I was like, "What's wrong? I mean, what what don't you like?" And he goes, "Well, I like Vulcans and I like black people, but I don't like black Vulcans." <laughs> was the first thing he That's said. That's random. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then uh, the other thing he said was, "I don't like her name." I said, "What?" He says, "Well, it's all James Way." He's like, "I'm just not into that." And I was like, "Huh?" You know. So, like, I took that <laughs> with me, and uh, you know, I was watching the show, and I, I wasn't catching it as 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 regular as I, I've been trying to. But I was had a very busy high school life, so. Um, that was all falling out, as was TNG. I mean, I didn't catch up on the last season of TNG until I was out of high school, mm. and I saw how crappy they were. I was like, no. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, Voyager, I, I, I remember just doing a blanket kind of write-off at one point, where I was like, you know, they're just so safe with everything. Right. And I, like many people, cited the fact that the Maquis thing never really went anywhere because I thought that had so much potential to become something really, really awesome. I didn't know it at the time, but I wanted to see something like Battlestar Galactica out of that show. Right. And uh, it just wasn't ever going to get there. Yeah, I could see that. that. Was my- and, and I kind of wrote it off, too, um, probably around season three or season four, and then picked it up later on. 
Um, but same kind of deal. I mean, you, you, at some point you're just like, can they just get home and then start over again? Can't they just like go out after that? So, I mean, I guess that's a part of the Gilligan effect. So Dayton, what do you think of Voyager? What's your take? I'm kind of like Jared. I was the same way. I, I wanted to like it, but it just kept irritating me with the fact that it wasn't being honest, at least in my mind, to its premise. It's like, you know, you've got these two radical factions that are now stuck together on the same ship, and nothing came of that. They were all best friends by the end of the, mm. what, second or third episode? Yeah. I mean, they, had, and they, were, they yeah. made a couple of token efforts to bring that back and, you know, and have everybody's feathers ruffled once or twice. But after, after that, it was hardly ever mentioned again. And then you know that the you know, the the ship never seems to have to be repaired, or it never you know they didn't they didn't uh, show the ship having you know the cumulative damage and wear and tear mm-hmm. without any Starfleet backup, and you know their food was never a problem, and fuel was never a problem, and their uniforms are always nice and purdy, and uh, I mean it just it just wasn't honest. And, and the holodecks run on a separate circuit. And, yeah, so and the holodecks. <laughs> yeah, wow. We have we're having, we're having to ration our replicator, you know, deal so we can only eat, you know, whatever. But hey, the holodeck runs all the time, and we can keep the doctor on twenty four seven. Right. You know that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. it's just it was always cheats. Yeah. yeah, go on. I think I just tripped Jared's trip. The holodeck. No. <laughs> yeah. The holodeck stuff. Man, uh, I, I remember reading something that was part of the original Voyager premise. That got axed because uh, Kate Mulgrew couldn't do it, and I'm so sad now. Now, now I am a Voyager fan because I've watched it back to back. I mean, one to the next, and I've come to appreciate the show for what it actually was doing, and not trying to see it as something it wasn't. And I've actually really fallen in love with with all of it, um, except for the Chinker episodes, which every season has. But they had this idea that Captain Janeway's escape program was going to be a western. And I thought that was hot. And Kate <laughs> <laughs> Mulgrew can't around horses. There's something about them. They scare her or she's allergic. I can't remember what it was. But then they had to, like, recast Janeway's holodeck life in that Jane Eyre kind of oh, annoying. Yeah. They were doing, like, fix a wagon wheel with her originally. And I was like, oh, my God. That would have been awesome. That would have been I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike any of the shows. I'm a fan of the show, of all the shows to one degree or another, and there are episodes of Voyager I really like watching over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I like most of the characters. I mean, I, I, Do, Bob Picardo as the Doctor is, is still my favorite character from that show. Yeah. Totally. Uh, but, and I didn't have a problem with Kate Mulgrew as the captain. I had more of a problem with Chakotay because I just thought he was – an even worse version of Riker. He just stood around and he, and he, he got shafted as far as having meaningful things to do. You yeah. know, that's, that's really, it's not yeah. the, I, my problems with the characters weren't necessarily the, the actors. It was the fact that the writers never seemed to find things for everybody to do. And then of course, once Jerry Ryan showed up, it got worse right. for some of these guys. Cause yeah. some of these guys, if you gave them something to really chew and, you know, mm-hmm. sink their teeth into, they could rise to that occasion and perform very yeah, well. They, they just very rarely got the chance and it was always the same thing every week. You know, the spatial anomaly is messing with the starboard power coupling or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it just became almost like a Mad Libs game where you were going to figure out the plot of this week's Voyager episode. Right. And, um, you know, and Enterprise, to a lesser degree, did, did some of that in its early years, too. But, right. yeah, I, that's my biggest – if I have a gripe about Voyager, it's the, it's the lost potential in exploring the premise. Yeah, mm. I'd yeah. have been perfectly because- happy if they never made it home. 
you know, if, if there was a meaningful story to tell with that as its, you know, endpoint. Yeah, I, I figured, but, yeah. But you yeah. knew they were I never going to do that. It was going to last seven years, and they were going to make it home at the end of the seventh episode, seventh year episode, yeah. just like it. T- and then, of course, at the end of the seventh year, after we've dealt with this for seven years, we don't even get to see the reunion <laughs> of everybody coming yeah, home. That's a good point. I was particularly mad about that. Yeah, I, I mean, was, they, I was actually angry with that. That I, I'm like seven years, and the last shot is Voyagers giving me its ass as the camera fades out. <laughs> no, like, that's what I get for seven years. That's awesome. that's pretty lame. No, that was uh, what everybody said there real quickly was that I was the same way. I just thought I, I'm skewed on Vor. I mean, increasingly through DS9 because we had moved out here and I was working so much around the lot, and my wife worked on Voyager the five years in the script office, and I a lot of my memories by the time we get to Voyager just personally are mixed up with you know, soap operas and personal stuff versus just watching it on screen. So that, but it still was, everybody saw the pilot and thought it was the hottest pilot ever and all this conflict and all this, and then they went vanilla so fast. And a lot of it was UPN saying, oh no, it's Starfleet. They should be one, one big happy fleet. And it's like, well, you know, he said that in sarcasm and you know, Khan said that sarcastically. <laughs> but anyway, they, yeah. it did. It backed off from the whole, like, like uh, Dayton was saying, the whole Maquis I mean, Janet got so mad too, and it kind of soured her on my wife. And she was saying, "I did. I wanted to tune in every week for at least three or four years and not know who was sitting in the captain's chair that week when I first got." I mean, that you know, that's where a lot of people had thought it should mm. be, but it did. It went so vanilla, and even the interpersonal things—they had it set up a, a, a Chakotay Paris thing and a Paris Neelix thing, and all this stuff set up, and they backed off of everything so fast. And then the things that they that was going to be the risky thing about the show, which was there's no there's no linchpins and landmarks, became the biggest you know the biggest drawback because they were having to create interesting things to play against. And you you couldn't rely rely against uh, Klingon, Romulan, Cardassian, Ferengi, whatever what you know Trill, whatever whatever stuff going on in the background. And the one thing they did set up as running were the crappiest aliens. I mean, they were they made the Ferengi debut look like you know, <laughs> at least the Ferengis turned out to be comedy for, at first, even though sure. they were manhandled. And then, and then they're not going any. You know, they oh well, we're not really not going anywhere. I mean, DS Nine is going faster places than we are because this guy's <laughs> away. And they finally figured that out. At, you know, by the end of the second season, so it, yeah, the lost potential of the show. And and somebody woke up in the second or third season and said, oh, we've we've never had Neelix and Kess in bed together yet. Oh, this is kind of. I mean, you know, just all kinds of things. So, right. it, yeah, the the show of the lost potential. And the one thing that turned it around was. I mean, we all laugh about Jerry coming on, but I mean, she filled out the cat suit, and that's why she was hired. But she also is a pretty damn good actress. Yeah, and absolutely. They played that, she, yeah. you know, the old viewpoint on humanity thing. Jerry Ryan takes a lot of heat yeah. for Seven of Nine, but if you watch her in anything other than Star Trek, she is a very versatile actress. And I've I've seen her on several shows since she left Voyager, and you know, she given stuff to do that lets her emote, you know. She can be very compelling to watch. And she, oh, yeah, she no, takes they, a bad I, I don't does, know what they were thinking. I think she does great on Voyage. No, I mean, once I she, thought un- she did I mean, great on Voyage, I mean, given what she had to work with, I mean, I, I know, I don't know what they were thinking when they put her in that ridiculous outfit early on and then the outfits that followed before they finally, you know. I think they were thinking, save the show, get the ratings up on it. I her. guess. <laughs> I, don't know, I, just thought it was, I thought it was a poor. It was only- a poor it was a poor decision. I mean, and I, I say that as a. If you go I say back that, and look, they had her in the silver suit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they had her in that silver suit only two or three shows. What you remember is how many billion magazine covers that was plastered on. Yeah, yeah. They well, they switched her to a variety of different cat suits, right? And then I remember thinking 
you know, yes, she's a very attractive woman. I say that as a red-blooded American male that yes, she's a dynamite looking <laughs> woman. I mean, it's just it just became nobody could take her ser- nobody would take her seriously or give her the benefit of the doubt because they were too busy making jokes about the yeah. cat suit. Right. And if you close your eyes and listen to her talk and listen to her run through the you know the stuff they gave her to say, it was good stuff. There's uh, there's one one episode in particular that that uh, I can think of, and I can't think of the name, but it's the one where the doctor is actually stuck within her you know cerebral matrix or I don't know uh, body and soul I think yeah where she actually has to uh, imitate Bob Picardo. Oh God, that's hysterical. She does do a, an amazing yeah, job. And Bob Picardo does a great job channeling her. I mean, it's 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 hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. There was another episode too. I think was it Infinite Regress, where she starts where something is breaking down and she's taking on personalities of people she assimilated, like a Ferengi mm. and a human and a a Klingon, and and she's just in her normal costume, but she becomes a Ferengi, and it really it really showed her off. Showed her all her acting off. I mean, I, I think the, <laughs> Jesus guy. I no, I I'll hold up for the fact that they. I mean, I thought that she got the lion's share of the good. Right, you were talking a minute ago about Chakotay and Paris. Yeah, she and, never. He, they never. And got all a break. those guys. I think she. I thought she was. I thought they did do well by her. Mm. I think oh, it just took away did. from everybody else. Oh I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, there's nothing was, left over for Harry Kim and Paris and rah, 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 all the right. You know, Voyager really did suffer from having. The Doctor and Seven of Nine being awesome. And I know, I know it, it, it shouldn't have suffered, but it did because you, lo- you lost st- stuff mm-hmm. for Janeway to do. You lost stuff for Chakotay. We're not even talking about Tuvok and uh, Bolana Torres. We haven't even mentioned them in the conversation because they got lost in the shuffle of, well, these characters are uh, – people don't – it's not they're not testing well, so we're not going to put them up right. there as much. And, and – and it, and it kind of sucks because I like Harry Kim. I, I actually like the Harry Kim Tom Paris relationship at the beginning of the show, and it just got lost in the shuffle. It just went away. I I, I had no problem with Kess. I mean, there there was so much stuff that I did like about the show. And Jared used to tell a story about uh, the original casting of the Kazon. You remember that, Jared? Oh yeah, it's one of my favorites. Maybe Gloria Nemechek has some insight on it. Uh, okay, the Kazon were uh, supposedly going to be played only by teenagers. That was how they were created. And um, they decided that it was cheaper and more cost-effective to cast normal actors um, because they didn't want to work with all the child labor laws and all the like. But Michael Pillar's original inspiration was the Kazon. This is, this is intercity gang bullshit. So mm-hmm. we're going to... These angry children who are armed to the teeth, this incredible antagonist for Voyager. But the casting is what turned it into really bad hair Klingons. <laughs> yep, junkyard dog Klingons is mm. what they wound up, yeah. yeah. Well, at the second year, they tried to realign. I mean, I don't remember that so much being at the beginning, but I know they were struggling with trying to – they took the first hiatus to try to realign, you know, tw- do some tweaking and – bolt tightening and stuff and they and Ken Biller actually went off and wrote a big memo about I mean if you if you watch the second season they went back to the Kazon in a more organized way and had, that's when you had all the tribes or the sects the Kazon yeah. Ogla and the Kazon Nistrum and the and that was where they really got and they yeah. came up with the, the Trabe as the ones that they had overthrown and that's why they you know they were the Nauvoo Rish as far as their technology they just inherited it and they didn't really understand it to the you know they were trying to get way, way far away from that whole thing about how you could have no water on a planet or its atmosphere and 
have people, <laughs> you know, in the pilot. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, exactly. And then they finally said, you know, gang or no gang, work or no work. The fact that we're hanging around these guys makes it look like we're not going anywhere. So. Yeah, I always kind of thought that the Kazon were kind of weak, and that's an interesting insight that they were supposed to be kids. I think that that probably would have been a much bigger selling point for me, like seeing the Kazon and seeing it being like a gang of kids. I mean, you know, like yeah. like you said, inner city an gangs. Kid, like a 20-year-old, an old kid. I mean, he's an honored elder, right. you know, because he's survived this. Yeah, that would have been this awesome. Life? Yeah. All I, all I can think of is the kids from the, the, the original series episode miri when i hear that <laughs> bonk bonk on the head and no more blah 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 you know, that's all i could think of when i'm thinking about the, the kazons as a you know yep. the grups yeah it was supposed to be boys in the hood scary man <laughs> yeah that's, yeah. that's kind of like the first uh, season tng episode with uh it was basically they took coming to america and added Star Trek. Oh God, that is. Oh God, that don't even bring that one up. <laughs> Are you talking about uh, Code of Honor? <laughs> that's it. And I hate that one. <laughs> yep, that's the there one. Are, I've read somewhere where even there's some syndication cycles where they've pulled that out of the because they were so they looked at it two seconds later and said, "God, this is the most racist thing we've ever done." Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> and bad. Pulled it out of the cycle. Yeah, it's kind of like Angel One as well. Another clinker from from uh, season one, but you know, maybe we should talk about, and I don't know if you guys want to, we're actually about an hour 30 into this. Um, I know, but it's awesome. And this is the stuff that we really wanted to get into. Uh, So it's, it's actually fantastic. And I don't know about what, what kind of schedules you guys have. If you need to, to pull off now, I can talk. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. I'm down. I'll listen to all seven hours. <laughs> Dude, we can spread this out over like four months. This is awesome. Say, you're going to have your whole summer broadcast schedule. <laughs> exactly. Right? Now, chapter 47. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Warp. Fire. So that was episode 13 of Subspace Communiques Life After Trek. We really hope you guys enjoyed this roundtable discussion. And like I said before, this is actually part one of a multi-part series, so be sure and, and stay tuned for that. You can actually subscribe via iTunes to have those delivered immediately to you. Uh, and we would like to give a quick shout-out to our, our roundtable guests. Uh, you can check out uh, Star Trek author Dayton Ward's website at DaytonWard.com. He actually has a new book coming out this month, uh, coming out very soon, and it's called Star Trek Vanguard Declassified. It's another in the Vanguard series that we know you guys will, will truly enjoy, but be sure to check out his website for more details. You can also check out more of Larry Nimichek's stuff, uh, including his new documentary, The Con of Wrath, at LarryNimichek.com, TrekLandBlog.com, and ConOfWrath.com. But uh, be sure and check that out so you get all the details about his new upcoming project uh, that we talked about last time. Also, be sure to check out Jared Formby at TrekCast.com. He also has a Tumblr blog. That's HeyStarTrek.tumblr.com. It's one of our, our favorite things to read. Uh, but also check out Damon's show, geekfights.net. We've talked about those guys a ton, but that's a fantastic podcast. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed listening to this as much as we did recording it. And uh, be sure and stay tuned for the rest of this series uh, that'll be coming very shortly. Hopefully you guys will check that out. And until then, live long and prosper. Mm-hmm.